Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Fasini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, we are back for the final part of our 23 and under top 25 podcast series. We are going to go eight through number one. Uh, number one, an interesting debate. I will say that. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced I got it right, but uh, this guy is pretty clearly pretty good. Uh, Cole Zwicker is with me for the third time in a row, Cole. How you doing, man? We're, we're still on Wednesday, August 21st. This will be released, I don't know. At some point in the next couple weeks, because I'm going, to, I'll be on my honeymoon by the time this gets released. So uh, you know, it's 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 an easy uh, easy piece of content for me to run away from the internet from. <laughs> yeah, this is your final podcast, I believe, as an unmarried man. So it's it's an honor, sir. <laughs> yeah, it is. And to celebrate that, I've got another white claw here with me. We got natural <laughs> lime. Uh, you know, been a been a stressful day. Just gonna crack that baby open and <laughs> enjoy it for sure I, i'm trying to decide like if i'm gonna go to the bar tonight like while uh it's wednesday we have like rehearsal dinner tomorrow and then married on saturday laura has to do a bunch of flowers i still have to finish baking the cakes uh, i had to do a second round of chocolate cakes today because uh the first time i broke the uh one layer of the chocolate cake so yeah it's been a it's been a long day and families in town, so that's always great. It might be a good night, the calm before the storm. Just a quick drink at the bar after recording what this is. We're going to probably approach six hours today, so that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, like I said, I started drinking at 11.35. This is only my <laughs> third White Claw. Like, we're not going wild here. Like, I'm not drunk by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's been a long day, Cole. There you go, man. I've been watching, like, bad movies as well. Like, not, like, bad movies, but, like, early 2000s like action slash like heist movies like i just watched proof of life last night with russell crowe and meg ryan the one where like apparently russell crowe and meg ryan were like uh like having an affair off camera uh in the middle of south america and yeah you can see it you can definitely see it (laughs) see the See, see the chemistry there i don't think i've seen that one maybe i have a long time ago but i don't remember it it's pretty wild it features like the most off the rails David Caruso performance I've ever seen in my life. It is. I thought. Go ahead. I thought you were going to go straight triple X or something. You were just flexing it with the white claws or something, going all Magic Johnson. <laughs> no, man. Like 
Proof of Life, it's a wild movie. It's like <laughs> the last like 30 to 40 minutes is really good, but okay. it's also a two hour and like 15 minute movie when it should be an hour and 55 minutes. And like, I can tell you like exactly where they should have cut the scenes. Like there's no reason for Russell Crowe to have to uh, go there, his insurance company to decide not to help. And then like, Oh, Russell Crowe comes back. Like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Just, just give me the movie. I I don't, I don't need this. (laughs) I don't need this in my life. And uh, I watched the score with like Robert uh, De Niro and Marlon Brando. That's on Amazon prime right now. Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. Edward yeah, that Norton. was pretty good, honestly. I remember it being yeah. okay. Um, I haven't seen totally it Totally fine. Decade. Yeah, it's like totally fine. Uh, what else? What else did I watch? I, I have been like catching up on the rewatchables. Shout out the Ringer uh, podcast, the rewatchables. It's just great. Uh, oh, here's this is a bad one. I will admit this. I realized over the weekend that I had actually never seen the first 45 minutes of The Terminator. Yeah, I don't know if I have either straight up (laughs) yeah like i like just tossed the terminator on i was like oh yeah i've seen this like i can just toss it on and it'll be fine and then i realized while watching like the ridiculous stop motion scenes at the beginning it's like oh yeah i've definitely never seen this um yeah and i'm starting to like worry now have i seen all of t2 like i'm not not sure i think i have (laughs) but we'll find out there you go i gotta see uh i think they're watchables they did the town right with brasillo i gotta listen to that oh it's great yeah it was awesome I low-key love The Town, so... <laughs> the Town is an exceptional movie. The Town might be, like, a top 20 movie. It is unbelievable. I really, really like it, too. I, I, I'm right there with you. It's weird to hear you say that, because, like, normally when I say that, people are like, yeah, it's okay, and I'm like, I just really enjoy it for some reason. No, it is an exceptional movie. Like, everything about it works. Uh, from, like, Blake Lively's ridiculous performance to Jeremy Renner <laughs> to, you know, Ben Affleck's direction, like... And John Hamm just, like hamming it up essentially as this cop it's a perfect movie i, I think it's so good. It's really good i agree all right uh let's jump in we're going to talk about the guys who i have in the top eight on my 23 and under list again for the rules if you're just tuning in now uh 1996 birthdays and later that means guys like carl towns christoph porzingis nikola Jokic, andrew wiggins kyle kuzma uh all of those guys not eligible for this list. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of other 1995 birthdays I missed. Aaron Gordon, I believe, is one of them. Um, not eligible for this list. 1996 birthdays and later. Second, my list, I talked to Cole about it a little bit. We kind of went back and forth on a few things, particularly in terms of ranking some of the guys in the last episode. Um, this episode, for the most part, I think I had pretty set before speaking with you correct i think you only made one alteration and it had nothing to do with me you just bumped fox ahead of trey young and i think the rest of this was already set yeah so i I feel pretty good about where i landed on some of this like i would imagine that you have some differences here um but what you'll see here for me is that i am very strongly in on perimeter players being just much more important than bigs like cole mentioned on the last podcast that he had jaron jackson third on a list like this if i remember correctly right correct like i just can't see a circumstance where i would have a big third on a list like this right now in the nba um zion's obviously somewhere here in the top eight right but like i don't really consider zion a big like i consider him a creative forward who is just like a freak show (laughs) <laughs> I consider him like a 99th percentile historic NBA athlete. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Zion's kind of more similar to a Ben Simmons kind of perimeter-oriented big. 
I mean, Zion's strengths are stronger than Simmons' strengths as far as athleticism, slashing, all of that, but neither can really shoot right now. So we'll get into that discussion, but I, I think it's valid. Um, we'll get into it as we go along, though. Yeah, so let's go to number eight. This is the only big man that will feature on this list. All of my top seven guys uh, are what I would call perimeter players, at least. You know, obviously, Ben Simmons is six foot ten, six foot eleven now, maybe, and is something of a half-court big man at times but like the guy who i have at number eight is deandre ayton i'm still extraordinarily high on deandre ayton i see no real reason not to be high on deandre ayton now and i think that cole will drastically disagree disagree with me on this take so before i toss to cole i do just want to like throw out what deandre ayton did this year uh he averaged 16.3 points, 10.3 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 0.9 steals, 0.9 blocks. Uh, 58.5 field goal percentage uh, was at a 60.8 true shooting percentage. Those numbers are just absurd, I feel like. In terms of offensive production from a guy that spent uh, most of his rookie year at 20 years old. No qualms with that. I mean, what he did efficiency-wise, points, rebounds, and his ability to score around the basket efficiently is pretty unprecedented, his touch, all of that. I'm actually kind of surprised. I, I mean, I, I'm not now that you framed it in, in the intro saying you're favoring more perimeter players, but when we I initially saw this list, I was a little surprised that you had him eight um, just because you I expected, know you're really high on him. Yeah, yeah, you expected me to be a little bit higher. I'll be honest, like I said last year going in, like I feel like DeAndre Ayton has a chance to have like a Patrick Ewing career, right? I, I just don't know how valuable that is in the modern NBA nowadays. Like, if DeAndre Ayton turns into Patrick Ewing, and that would still take a leap defensively, by the way. Uh, like, Patrick Ewing made, uh, if I remember correctly, like two or three all-defensive teams. Like, Patrick Ewing was ridiculously good for a long time, made, like, something absurd, like 10 or 11 all-star games. Uh I'm just not necessarily convinced that, like, Patrick Ewing in today's NBA, you plop him down. How insanely valuable is that guy? Like, he's really good. He's probably a top three center in the league. Uh, in fact, he's definitely a top three center in the league. But is he leading you to a NBA title in a three-point oriented league? Is he leading you to a finals appearance, which is where he peaked uh, in the NBA? is a number one option. I, I don't know if he is anymore. I don't know if that player type is doing that anymore. Where was this version of you during our pre-draft discussions of Aiden? <laughs> this is like basically my argument before the draft was kind of like this. He's very good at what he's good at, but how valuable is that in totality unless he takes a significant yeah. jump on the defensive end? Yeah, and, and like I think DeAndre is going to take a leap on the defensive end at some point. And, and you're 100% right. Like this is exactly your argument for Luka Doncic whenever I had DeAndre at number one and uh, Luka Doncic at number two and, and like had them clearly yep. in a tier ahead of everyone else but had them nonetheless like right around uh, the same and had DeAndre slightly ahead I basically am admitting defeat to you like take a bow Cole this, this is where we're at <laughs> that's not really what I'm going for honestly like <laughs> more, more importantly for me like your argument is probably going to be the strongest now for Aiden because I do think you have more optimism for him than a lot of people. I think some of the talk has become more negative, but I think also you are more grounded now on what to expect as far as his value on the floor, not the production, not the efficiency, but like how does he impact winning? So 
in terms of impacting winning, to impact winning, he's going to have to average like 25 points a game. Like he's going to have to be like a 25 point a game guy on 60% true shooting percentage, uh, 12 rebounds, everything to do with that. Extends his range out to like at least 18 feet, something like that. Uh, if he can be like, like to me, I think DeAndre is probably going to settle in is something like bigger, longer, like maybe a better like floor running LaMarcus Aldridge, maybe? And, yeah, and my like, com- go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say my comparison before the draft was a blend. Not, not, not perfect, but a blend of like Drummond and Aldridge. I think he has kind of those skills, but give him better touch around the rim, like something like that. Sure. And like may- maybe it's like more athletic LaMarcus Aldridge, which like, you know, at the end of the day is kind of like Patrick Ewing. But like, I, I do think that DeAndre Ayton is going to have a career that is Ewing-ish in a way, which like, again, how does that affect winning? I don't know. But I do think you're talking about a guy that's going to make, you know, maybe not 10 all-star teams, but like Patrick Ewing made what, seven all-NBA teams? I think DeAndre probably makes five all-NBA teams. It's just like, again, how much does he help you win games as like a number one option? I'm not 100% convinced, but, like, with the way we're going, I'm just not sure that, like, any center is going to be the number one option anymore, you know? Yes, exactly right. That, that That's what I've believed for a while. Maybe a Jokic. Like, you, the thing about certain bigs is all bigs, or most bigs, I should say, are dependent players. Like, right. you just need to enter them the ball. Like, what makes someone like Jokic special is, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, is he can enter and initiate offense, maybe not in like, a, of course, not in like a dynamic pick and roll setting as a pull-up shooter, but he can at least dribble into post-ups. You know what I mean? Like, he's not at the mercy of his teammates getting him the ball in the post where you can aggressively deny. Like, remember Towns against the Rockets two years ago in the playoffs where they were just fronting him and really taking away a lot of his abilities. And Towns is obviously much more skilled than Aiton on the perimeter. I'm just saying that most bigs are at the mercy of their teammates offensively. They need to get the ball in certain spots. They're more play finishers in several respects. They're just not initiators of offense. And I think that's really important to say in the modern game is you have to start at the head of the snake as far as who's initiating your offense, who has the ball. And normally that's not a big. It's 100% right. And here's what I will say, though, about DeAndre. DeAndre Ayton did all of this and was this efficient with the point guard situation in Phoenix, as (laughs) Colswicker knows better than anyone, being a disaster show. Like, just being a total nightmare last year. Uh, Once they got Tyler Johnson, it definitely improved a little bit. Like, if I'm I'm being totally fair, right? Uh, Tyler Johnson brought a level of competence that they desperately need. But, like, the difference between Ricky Rubio and Tyler Johnson is still pretty substantial in today's NBA, especially as a distributor who can like regularly pinpoint pick and roll passes to a big man and allow him to high point the ball and finish above the rim. Like I think DeAndre Ayton's probably just by nature of having a more competent point guard and not relying on pick and rolls uh, with Josh Jackson, who like, by the way, Josh Jackson was, <laughs> probably his most common pick and roll partner last year for people who didn't watch a lot of Phoenix Suns games. Like those two, I'll say this, like those two had like a pretty okay pick and roll partnership, but like it wasn't obviously when we're talking about Josh Jackson as your primary initiator in a pick and roll, we're not talking about like high level elite stuff. Ricky Rubio and the Suns this year, like there's just going to be a level of competence in the backcourt where DeAndre, I think is really going to feast because of it. 
I agree, but I think it's more in totality as far as his teammates. Like, again, I think Devin Booker is a quality point guard. Like, I think a lot of what he initiated, like, he was fine passing to eight. And he's not the best passer, but he's fine as far as lower level. I think it, the problem was more uh, the rest of the guys. Like, go ahead. I will say this about Devin. I never got the impression watching him and DeAndre. In general, like, I think Devin can run can like initiate an offense competently. Like Devin is higher than DeAndre on this list. I'm a huge Devin Booker fan, but I never got the impression watching Phoenix last year that like Devin and DeAndre had an incredible connection as like a pick and roll partnership. You know what I mean? I don't think they were advanced. I agree with that. I don't, it was incredible by any means. But I think Devin was competent enough. For me, it was like when they started the season, they had Trevor Ariza. They had Ryan Anderson, Isaiah Cannon. Those guys weren't good enough passers. You know what I mean? Like It was the totality of the system yeah. where Devin could make like a 1-5 pick and roll read to Aiton. But the problem was what happens if the other team – this, this happened in the Denver game where it was 1-5 pick and roll. Aiton had like 25-point second quarter, I believe, because Denver's system – what they do is they trap the ball handler and Aiton was just rolling and finishing over two backline defenders that were smaller right. players. But then Denver modified their coverage and they started just completely pinching down on Aiton and taking away that dive. So I think, like again, Aiton in part is at the mercy of the surrounding cast. And I do think more than anything, outside of McHale, who I thought was honestly a very underrated passer last year, there just wasn't enough total passers. And I think that's going to be remedied this year with a guy like Rubio and like Sarge. Those guys can really find Aiton on these deep kind of duck-ins where like a Josh Jack would miss him at times right and just like generally whenever you have competent shooters like Dario Saric and yes. if Cam Johnson can carve out a role this year if Ty Jerome can carve out a role this year uh I mean like I doubt they play Kaminsky and Aiton together often but like Kaminsky is the kind of four who can really stretch the floor it's harder to just tag down on centers rolling to the basket whenever you're getting penalized from someone like Ricky Rubio who could hit that cross corner pass easily if you tag down on eight and too hard so i think just having like a level of shooting and a point guard who can deliver the ball to deandre i i genuinely believe he's gonna average like 23 points and 12 rebounds this year just i don't even think he has to get better to do that i just think that he's gonna do it on the basis of his surrounding teammates giving him more opportunity to receive easy passes if you get him the ball around the basket he will make the shot I mean, yes. that's where his that's his strength is. It's not just dunks like you get him a deep post catch and he can just do that jump hook over the top. His touch is elite. So yes. outstanding play finisher. And I think that's how you, if you really want to maximize him, you have to get him the ball there. And I think that's why Suns fans at times got frustrated, even though, again, I think he should get more credit. Like a part of his value on offense is as a dive man in demanding those sink in coverages where it opens the shooters. That's part of being a dive man is you get the gravity. So right. even when he doesn't get the ball, you can't be frustrated at times because the defense is taking him away. And that's what you can do to that kind of player. You can take them away, but it's at the expense of shooting. And I think that's why you've seen the Suns go all in on, you know, I don't really agree with the plan necessarily, but it's a plan. They're putting a bunch of shooters, Cam Johnson, Dario Saric, Ty Jerome. There's a clear plan here. Kaminsky, everybody can shoot from three, and I think they're going to try to optimize Aiton and see what he can do. Yeah, I agree, and I'm really interested to see 
how it goes. Uh, because defensively is where you're going to bring up the concerns with Aiton. And he was, I thought that the defensive concerns at Arizona were overstated. Often, like people point to the Buffalo game. I went down and like actually broke down the Buffalo game in terms of like points against him that were his responsibility. Very few of them were his responsibility yeah. at all. Like even in secondary pick and roll coverages um, where like, you know, he is involved in a pick and roll ball gets reversed. He misses like a rotation on the backside. Like very little of that even happened. Um, but I was somewhat concerned by what I saw this year. It's hard to like separate Phoenix being a dumpster fire from DeAndre Ayton defensively, but there's enough there that like there is very real reason for concern. Yeah. And it's the same stuff we've talked about ad nauseum in the past. I think if I'm looking at this correctly, he allowed something like 65% at the rim. Um, as far as defensive field goal percentage, the average for a rookie big, I trace this back historically. I can't remember what I set the volume at, but I did it something where it was somewhat substantial. It was about 58.8. So we're looking at a guy with about seven percentage points greater allowing at the rim than the average. And you look at some of the other guys in this class, Mitchell Robinson around 52. Same with Jaron Jackson, Wendell Carter about 59, which is about average. Um, Bagley and Aiton were the two worst. And it does you have to contextualize and say Aiton was the primary rim protector. Same with Wendell Carter. A lot of these other guys were more secondary, right? So you have to factor in situation, which the stat doesn't do. But I do think that is a number that's very concerning. And most importantly, it backs up what you see on film. Well, A, it's concerning just in terms of uh, percentage against. But like DeAndre played 31 minutes a night. And even the number of shots that he contested at the basket at 5.7, that is not a crazy number. Like, you would expect that number to be more in the range of, like, 7 or so at 30 minutes a night. Uh, So he's actually even contesting shots at the rim at a rate lower than what you would expect. So... I think there's reason for concern with DeAndre as like a primary rim protector. I'm pretty comfortable with that. Having said that, he's also 7'1 with a 7'6 wingspan. And we used to talk about this shit all the time with Andre Drummond. And like Andre Drummond is now an above average rim protector in the NBA. Which I think is within Aiton's range of outcomes. Like he can become average-ish. Like he he should. Like frankly, there's no excuse for him not to. You know what I mean? Like you you noted the tools and the movement ability. There's no reason he can't be at least average with what he's been dealt. It's honestly coaching at this stage. Like, the only thing that is going to stop him from reaching his defensive potential as a rim protector is going to be poor coaching, not being able to get through to him. Like, he's not a bad kid. He's not a kid who, like, doesn't listen from everything I've been told. He is not someone that, like, is ignoring people. Uh, Like, I guess there's, like, some sort of immaturity here. And don't, like, respond to this because you were involved in the situation last year, Cole. But, like, there's... There's enough tools there. There's enough want to from him as well that I think the only thing that's going to matter here is coaching. As long as he is coached well. And I, I think that one thing that's worth bringing up here is Phoenix hired Ricardo Foy, uh from Gonzaga. Gonzaga, in my opinion, in, on the college level, at least from a player development perspective, is the absolute best in terms of teaching verticality. Uh I will be interested to see if maybe Ricardo can work with a guy like DeAndre Ayton in the way that he's worked with Damana Sabonis, who, by the way, his numbers last year as a rim protector are not as bad as you would think, uh, just given his limitations. Maybe there can be some sort of, you know, teaching there and player development there that can really help DeAndre improve as a rim protector. 
I agree with the sentiment that he can get better via coaching. I think if he gets good coaching, he can become competent. I don't think that he has the ability to become elite. Even with the physical tools, I don't think the instincts. I think his lack sure. of instincts. He's, and, he's not going to be Joel Embiid protecting the rim. Like, that's not going to yeah. happen. Like, they have the same, or not the same. Like, I think Joel might be an inch taller. But, like, Joel Embiid and DeAndre Ayton have very similar physical dimensions, right? DeAndre is not going to be Joel just because Joel is unbelievable in terms of timing, in terms of just the innate wherewithal of where to be defensively and how to contest and how to go straight up and down. Like, it's just not going to happen for DeAndre like that. Exactly. So I think I've always thought that his ceiling there was kind of was specified. I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's elite. Just again, with the hard line instincts, the reactivity hasn't been there. You hit on a really important point was the ability to contest shots. There were times last year, there was a lot of times last year where he was there and he didn't even put his arms up. It's right. like you are seven one, dude. And like that's the stuff that I think maybe the coaching gets through to him. Like not the reactivity, not the instincts as far as timing, all of that, but at least being more consistent with his technique. I think that's something that I mean, he can be a presence at the rim. He can be a presence in space. Like his best quality as a defensive player is guarding like these bigger power players in space. Like watch him guard Giannis last year against Milwaukee. That's what he's best at. When he is in space, he can slide and there's not a pull up threat. Like he's very strong. He has incredible physical tools. So there are things on defense he can do well. I think his switching gets a little overrated in terms of value added, but he's very nimble at his size. Like guys like this, guys as big don't move like him. When he's engaged, right. like he can do things that like very very few people on the planet can do. As far as like I, again, I've seen him toss Marvin Bagley to the side on a swim move on an offensive rebound and get to the ball in like a half second from like the top of the key. Like when he really engages, go watch the Nets game from last year in December. I'm actually going to do that soon again. So I keep talking about it as some kind of myth, but it was my favorite game he's ever played. He was physical. He, he played with a motor. He played with fuck you attitude. And that's what you have to get from him. If this guy tries, I'm not saying he doesn't try hard, but you can tell when he's going 100%. Right. When he goes there, 100%. Right. There's like, there is like a switch that clicks with DeAndre for sure. Like it's, and it's not always engaged. Yeah. And that's not to say like he loafs around and shit like that. I'm not saying that he's low motor. I'm saying that like there's a difference between his A plus game and the rest. Like when he's really going, all he needs to do is play really hard. And he's probably going to be an all star (laughs) just with his production. And like he's going to score. He's going to rebound. He can really get on the offensive glass and just be an absolute nightmare there. It just you have to you have to see that more consistently. And, And rookies aren't usually consistent. So I give him a break there for the most part. But it's just weird with him because you see games again, like that Nets game. And you're like, why can't you do that more often? So here would be, here's a question for you. If he gets to the point where he is Hassan Whiteside around the rim, where he is, when he's at the rim, a very good rim protector, but often has lapses, right? Or often chases and gets himself out of position regularly, but not the disaster that is Hassan away from the basket, where you can just take him away from the basket and play him off the floor, basically. Um, like, that'll never happen with DeAndre. Let's say he's, like, I don't know. I mean, like, he probably doesn't move. I don't know. He moves pretty well. Like, it's it's probably close to Clint Capella level in terms of his, like, lateral movement, would you say, right? I would say it's in the same stratosphere. I think Capella's a little bit more twitchy, yeah. a little bit more robotic. But his feet, he's not bad in space. He's pretty good. Yeah, I think that's right. So, like, let's say he's, like, Hassan Whiteside around the basket where when he's there, he's really good around the basket and contests shots and does a great job. Uh, but he's not there often enough. And maybe he's, like, Clint Capella where uh, – you can play him off the floor, but most teams probably aren't going to be able to do that, and he's probably going to be pretty good on defense. Plus, you add in the fact that he's 
probably going to average 25 points and 12 rebounds. Like that's a good, that's a, that's an elite player. That is an all NBA center. It's just, again, like I can't put a center much higher than this on this list. I'm curious to see where the defense goes. I think in theory, what you said is right, but I still think his reactivity off the ball, not only as a rim protector, but just in the perimeter, like if you slam him with like a weak side screen, is he going to be aware? And that's the thing that I'm worried about with him more than anything. It's not just about like one five switching in a vacuum or, you know, defending when you have the guy in front. He's always been pretty good at that. It's about when the play's not in front of him. How does he react? All of that. And I think that's a a big work in progress. And he's kind of a fascinating test case to me. So we'll see how it goes. I think my position with him has always been, I don't see him being elite on either end. I think he's going to be elite in terms of offensive efficiency. He's one of the best interior scorers I've ever seen, like straight up, like his touch, all of that. But again, you're you're dealing with a dependent player. Is he going to shoot threes ever? He has the touch. Does he have the mechanics? He's not a good ball handler. That's something that he really has to improve on. I don't think he can dip as low with the ball as someone like Jaron. He doesn't have that kind of ball handling control. So I don't see him like facing you up and shooting off the dribble or taking you to the rim but no he's a he's a crazy athlete but he's a little bit robotic and this is something at one point in time where i was like okay this is such a a coordinated like physical outlier maybe he develops this but i don't think he's going to yeah i mean it's worth mentioning he is still 21 but like 21 is like i think people might think of him as a little bit younger because he's a one and done that came out uh after one year and is just finishing his rookie year he is 21 years old already like he's not the youngest guy on this list by any stretch like he's i want to say like a year and maybe four months older than jaron jackson something like that right yeah he's i think about that right yeah yeah so like it's it's not that he's running out of time by any stretch of the imagination like not even a little bit (laughs) But he is, you know, the timeline needs to be expedited here to the point where whenever Phoenix has to decide to max him, which I'm sure that they're going to end up doing, because I'm sure, like I said, like, I think he's going to average 23 and 12 this year and just be a monster. He's he's getting maxed, dude. Right. (laughs) Like, he's going to get maxed. But, like, Phoenix, like, he needs to show Phoenix, like, he can provide everything else beyond the production, basically, at this stage. I agree. And I think, again, my last point on him is the hate in some circles has gone a little bit too far. And I think people are starting to come down off of this ridiculous pre-draft hype. Like this is the next Akeem Olajuwon. Akeem Olajuwon's like literally one of the best defensive bigs in the history of basketball. Did people so, say that? Oh, fuck. Yeah, they did. Listen to Arizona media. I, I'm dead serious. Like this was a very big narrative before the draft. Like this is the next Hakeem. Some people thought he was Shaq offensively. I mean, it's shit. Like, like I just said, he's like Patrick Ewing, but like, I, I, I mean, like, Hakeem is different than Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing's like a top like 60 player ever, probably like top 50 player ever. Like Hakeem is a top 10 player ever. There was just a lot of hyperbole and even like misconception about his offensive skills. Some people thought Boogie Cousins. It's like, that's not the way he wins. He's not like this coordinated face up dribbler. And like this Boogie always had that dribbling coordination. And that's something that I think is underrated with bigs. But Aiton can win in different ways. You just have to appreciate what he's good at. Right. No, that's 100% right. Um, Yeah, I'm excited to watch DeAndre this year. I've, like, been saying these guys that, like, I'm most excited to watch this year. Like, D'Angelo Russell was one and Lonzo is one. DeAndre is definitely one just because I want to see him in a competent situation, which I wouldn't have made all of the moves that Phoenix did this summer because I do think it kind of capped their ceiling a little bit, despite the fact that they have two guys that feature in my top eight guys under 23. But... There is going to be a level of competence there that simply was missing for stretches 
passing comprehension last year, basically. Like, there were way too many, like, 20-game stretches where it was just, like, a total mess. Yeah, agreed. I I think that you have to juggle. It's really hard to juggle short-term success and developing prospects versus picking the best long-term prospect. Like, in a vacuum, people are going to say, you should have gone upside in the draft. You should have done this in free agency. It's not like the Suns can go out and sign any free agent. And they have to put something competent around these guys just to figure out what they are. You can't do that unless you have an ecosystem that allows that. Right, 100%. Um, I think you can do that with one-year deals instead of like a three-year deal for Ricky Rubio, but uh, Ricky, w- Ricky will help them like learn what they have in DeAndre. No doubt about that. Uh, Trey Young is at number seven. Trey, I originally had a little bit higher, and then I decided to slide him down, just like a couple spots. It's not that I'm not high on Trey Young. I think he's going to be an all-star level point guard. I think he's probably going to average, what, Trey averaged like 18 and you know, nine last year or something, right? Eight, 19 and eight. Sorry, I flipped the two. Um, I think he's probably going to average something like 22 and 10 this year and do it probably on better efficiency over the course of the full season than he did this year. He was much better in the second half in regard to efficiency than he was in the first half. Uh, I slid him a little bit lower just because of the defensive concerns, but like Trey, Trey looks like a monster point guard. Yeah, I, I think the it's right to say, like, I was lower on him. I, I was really high on him in the draft. This is probably the best evaluation I've ever had. Uh, not to pat myself on the back or anything. This is the one I feel best about no, you, as you were, the intricacies. You were dead on. Everything that you had with Trey so far has borne itself out. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, for me, it's about the defense, like you said. Uh, it, it, there's two different sides of this argument that are extremes. People that are out on Trey because of his defense and people that think that Trey is, like, the best prospect in the NBA because of his ability to create offense for himself and others and I, I love that about him but you have to factor in the defensive side of the ball and the limitations that provides you as a roster he has to be built around you have to yep. give him infrastructure on the defensive side let's talk about his game in general and how it translated last year first so early on he really struggled to shoot the ball and it looked like he struggled with the speed of the game I thought like it took him some time to adjust but once I would say January rolled around. He had figured out that a his shiftiness can just like if he really slows down and just allows like the game to kind of wash over him and not try and do too much, he can really really uh, get separation with his uh, ability to change speed and change direction. The second thing that he did was start going more and more to the floater as opposed to going all the way to the basket. Uh, Throughout the second half of the year, I think, is when he realized that can be, like, maybe, he has maybe the best floater game in the NBA, I think. It's a genuinely elite skill, and he figured out that that can be the way that he scores, you know, quote-unquote, around the basket, in the way that a point guard has to score around the basket. Third, the shooting reverted. Like, he became a better shooter. He always had the gravitational pull like for the most part guys didn't go like way under on him unless he was like 30 feet from the basket and they would like let him they would allow him to shoot 30 feet from the basket but uh he was never going to shoot like 27 percent from three he was always going to shoot more like 36 37 as a rookie um over the course of like a half season stretch i thought like i thought that that was his true talent level coming in so and then additionally on top of it all the passing translated from the jump like you could tell immediately that stuff really worked from day one. And that's something that you and I talked about a ton pre-draft. Like you and I were 
we felt very strongly about Trey Young being an elite level passer, and that really bore itself out as a rookie. Uh, he ended up, I want to say, uh, what he was third in the NBA in assists per game, fourth in the NBA in assists per game, something like that. Uh, not only as a transition passer, he's good at that. It's the half court passing that I think is most impressive with Trey. Yeah, and more specifically, it's the pick and roll passing. He mm-hmm. is, in my opinion, a top five pick and roll passer in the NBA already. I know people yeah. think that that's like a, a strong take, but he's really, really good there. And he was in college, too. That's something that I, I always loved about his game, the craft, all of that. He was never going to shoot that poorly from three, like you said. I think he was 19% in November in 16 games. That really dragged down his yearly percentage he shot a lot of pull-ups a lot of pull-up threes hard shots i think he's more of like if he can get to like 36 percent from three on high volume considering the shots he takes i think that's pretty impressive honestly because i think they can do a better job of utilizing him more off the ball but they have to get the personnel to do that of course but with trey i think what's really important with him from like a, a takeaway standpoint is how much nuance is in his game it's not just about the drill, the pull-up shooting or the passing. It's like all of the, the little shit, like the, the craft. He's incredibly good at drawing fouls, something that like he has to do at his size. So the, all the ball swing throughs, he takes contact much better than his size. The finishing ambidexterity and the fact that that floater game really compensates for a lot of his limitations finishing over length. So all of the little subtleties to his game, the timing as a passer, um, throwing guys open, the anticipation, all of that stuff is like he has that. And he had that in college. And it's to a level that I haven't seen from a point guard prospect. Like A lot of people said maybe Steve Nash is a comparison. Like there's some shot versatility issues. And of course, Nash is like an all time player. So I'd never go that far as like, you know, as a comparison, unless it's like the, the ceiling ceiling, like the 95th, 99th percentile outcome. But there's a lot of nuance to his game that just a lot of other players don't have. I do think that stylistically, though, not in terms of like talent, because what Steve Nash had that Trey doesn't is shot selection skill and the ability to just be like an elite, elite level shooter. Trey is a really good shooter who can knock down shots from 30 feet. Steve Nash... I mean, shit, Steve Nash has a case as a top five shooter in NBA history. Exactly right. Yeah, I don't think Trey is Nash as far as efficiency or like Nash is a little bit more versatile. And this is something that Trey has been working on apparently in the summer. It's like nobody likes the mid range, of course, but Nash could like get to fadeaways. He was very good at like one footed off balance shots. Yeah. And that's something that Trey doesn't really have. Trey's all about, we talked about in the last podcast, very good at everything moving forward. Like that's why he's so good at runners. His balance is great hopping into long threes. But if you get him moving backwards, and he has to like create negative separation with like step backs that's where he's going to struggle a little bit more because he doesn't have quite Nash's like crafty body control and fadeaways but I, I I do think he's about the closest thing we've seen to Steve Nash right and honestly Trey is even though Trey is an exceptional passer Trey is more shoot first than Steve Nash was like Steve Nash never averaged 19 points in a season like Trey did last year um yeah like that Steve was much more of a guy that looked for his teammates and like that's not to say that one is better than the other it's just that i do get where the comparison comes from and stylistically i think that it's one that has merit in many ways but uh yeah like it's just hard to compare someone to you know steve nash who's a (laughs) two-time mvp and um you know i think i think steve nash is often woefully underrepresented in like the best in the best point guard ever discussions like i mean like look like magic johnson and stephen curry like i think those two are like way ahead of everyone but like look i mean like this is this is we're gonna get into like sacrilegious territory for some people but 
<laughs> I mean, they're like, I get that Isaiah Thomas, you know, led Detroit to titles and, you know, was exceptional for many, many years and all of this stuff. But I mean, Steve Nash, I think probably was better than Isaiah Thomas. Just looking, uh, having watched probably 30 games of Isaiah Thomas and, you know, having grown up through Steve Nash, like, I don't really see what people see with Isaiah Thomas being like this unbelievable player, other than the fact that he was just like tough and like this assassin and everything like that. Yeah, I haven't seen nearly enough of him. I watched a lot of Nash, and I obviously love Nash's game. I think I agree with you. He's really, really underrated historically. I Yeah, for me, I just think Trey... For me, let's just throw out initiator for the bigger wings. And let's just talk about point guard size players. To me, he's the best. He projects as the best offensive point guard of any prospect that we've seen. Like right now on this list, like I think his offensive upside as a point guard, like a point guard size, like six, two ish guy is the highest because what he does, I think yeah. he can be an engine of an offense. I think the ability to create for himself and create for others. He's really good at getting to the rim, too. Like he's faster than people gave him credit for. Like in college, you saw a lot of like, oh, Javon Carter's giving him problems and Herb Jones shut him down. It's like for one, Herb Jones did not shut him down. Like he denied him off the ball no. a couple times and then Trey scorched his ass on the ball. Um, <laughs> and that's like the quick release. All of that, all of the mechanics that Trey has are just fantastic. And then post All-Star break, this is, these are his numbers in 23 games. 24.7 points, 9.2 assists on 44.2% from the field. And I, I said last podcast, I, I don't want to like get too far into the numbers and all of that, but you have to admit for a rookie initiator, that's really, really impressive. So disappointed you didn't take my bait on Isaiah Thomas versus Steve Nash. <laughs> I just don't I don't go into historical conversations that much just because I don't have time to like go back and really watch I watch prospect tape like I'll go back and watch Iguodala or something in college but I can't go back to like the 80s I just never have time Isaiah Thomas one time finished in the top seven of MVP voting Steve Nash <laughs> you know two firsts a second I think he has like a fifth place in there like three other top tens yeah fuck this absurd uh trey young though uh trey young is exceptional uh he is offensively everything we look for defensively how i guess like this is a conversation about point guard defense in many ways right like how disastrous does trey young need to be to really counteract how good he is offensively last year like if we get the last year if that's who he is as a defensive player then it's going to be really tough for him unless you really really insulate him with elite level defensive players um i think he's gotten stronger that's good it's never going to be he's never going to be a plus what you're looking for is to get close enough to competent whereas offense which i'm pretty confident is going to be significantly good and outweigh that by a large margin so you're going to get a lot of you know, people looking at real plus minus and seeing him as like a minus five defender or something last year, which I understand if you watch the film, like this guy is like a tissue in the wind sometimes, man. And I think what he really has to win more is with his intellect and being in the right positions more and using his hands. He had great hands or really good hands in college. I thought at times, and he can anticipate off the ball when he was engaged, like against like, I think it was Texas tech, the first half of the, the first game there. Like he was really good when he actually really tried. I'm um, not really good, but like competent, right? <laughs> That's what we're trying to get at with him. So I think it comes with the intent intelligence and like maybe creating a few steals and just not being a complete low effort guy like get over screens a little bit or try to a little bit more like trailing Kyrie had some really poor you know sequences and stuff like that so you're just looking for competency like below average but not like a disaster like last year are you uh I guess this is like a real question like is do you think with Trey it literally is 
just effort. Just like knowing that he is not going to be a plus defender by any stretch. He just does not have the physical tools to be a plus defender. Yes. Are you at the point where you just want to see him play hard defensively? And as long as he plays hard defensively, you think it'll probably be fine? Like as long as he at least is less than a traffic cone in pick and roll? <laughs> I think it's not just about hard. It's about playing smart. I think it's yeah. those two things. Those those two things he can, can contr- he can control and he can try to bridge this gap. No, I don't feel great about it, honestly, because he was one of the worst defensive players in the league last year. I think he has to do those two things and maybe he can get good enough to the point where his offense outweighs. But I also think, again, you're going to have to build around him. You're going to have to get better defensive bigs um, or at least one to, to pair with John Collins. That's something. It's not something that you can just let organically play out and say we can put a bunch of offensive first players around him because I don't think your defense is ever going to be good enough if you do that. Let's go to De'Aaron Fox, who I slid ahead of Trey Young uh, while doing this exercise. De'Aaron Fox was not on this list a year ago. That's how bad De'Aaron Fox's rookie season was. De'Aaron Fox last year was exceptionally good. He was everything that you could hope for from a 21-year-old point guard. Uh, 17 points, 7.3 assists, 1.6 steals was like a pretty good defender throughout the course of the year, I thought, at least as like an on-ball lead guard defender. Uh, not started to knock down shots both from the mid-range and from the perimeter. Uh, took three three-point attempts a game, knocked them down 37% from three, uh, 72% from the foul line. Just generally was everything that people hoped he would be coming out of Kentucky. Like when Sacramento drafted him fifth, I would imagine that this is the exact De'Aaron Fox that they hoped they would get in year two. And now they'll just be hoping for another leap here at some point, probably at least by year four. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, this is probably the most significant leap I've seen from year one to year two. As far as going from, I, I thought last year we talked about him on the on this podcast. I think we had him as an honorable mention or something, or you did, and I kind of chimed yeah. in and said, "I think, I think by many, I think the hate is going too far with him." I thought that he played a little bit better than some of the numbers, and the system was bad. Like it wasn't like he was playing right. with two bigs. He wasn't able to push the pace. So it's like give this guy a little bit of a shot. And I, I've always been lower on De'Aaron, so I'm not trying to take credit for anything. I'm just saying like his jump to the second year was just absolutely ridiculous like you watched him 20 or 30 games into the season last year and i was like this guy looks like the fucking guy <laughs> like just watching him like sometimes guys when they play you're just like that guy's the fucking man like there's there's a step ahead as far as the decision making the speed all of it just came together and he looked like the best player on the floor at times and it was like this i'm not even sure if the kings were like yeah this is the guy we drafted they were like holy shit <laughs> you know what i mean like he looked like more than that you know what i mean to me like that the ceiling i went on a king's podcast recently i don't even know if this is en- gonna end up being true and i wasn't even trying to play to the the crowd or anything. I was just saying, like, if, if anybody in 2017, if you gave me a choice of the highest upside play in that class, I think it would be De'Aaron Fox. If I was starting a, a, a franchise from scratch and I said, give me the highest upside guy in 2017 from this juncture and this point of time, I think I would take Fox. So, yeah, I have him right beneath the guy that I have at number five. I think that's a totally defensible position, to be honest. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is probably the fastest player in the NBA. Do we think that's where we're at? I think, yes. And he's also one of the most aggressive ball pushers. And I think those two things in concert create probably the fastest functional player with the ball in the NBA. Yeah, I think that I agree with you. Uh, Defensively, we both think he took a leap last year, right? I think he's okay. Like, I I don't, maybe a leap. 
but I, I don't really consider him like he's he's good enough definitely to offset being an overt negative like his athleticism compared to someone like Trey for example he's just much more athletic so he can make plays and at least do some things but I, I do think his defense is a little bit overrated as far as when you see somebody that athletic exerting so much energy people are like oh he's like the stopper type I don't think he's that but he's good enough no. definitely to offset being bad right no like he's a guy that coming into Kentucky even had a reputation as like a high-end defender because people are <laughs> people are always blown away at high school levels whenever <laughs> someone plays hard on defense oh it's my incredible. god this, this guy's playing hard in an AAU game Johnson what's going on here uh like Tieran Fox is a fine defender just because he's active and aggressive on both ends of the floor and you know obviously that includes the defensive end and uh I don't think he is ever going to be a super high-end defender. Uh, Mike Conley, like, I, I think, like, in general, Mike Conley is, like, the comparison for De'Aaron Fox at this stage. Maybe just, like, a faster Mike Conley, even, which probably gives him a higher upside. Yeah, and that's a hell of a player, because I think Mike Conley is a pretty good player himself. But uh, I think there's some interesting takeaways from De'Aaron, at least for me, uh, just as far as shooting, especially. Like, this is where the touch argument is that that was the one this, thing this is had. the big thing i wanted to talk about too for sure because okay. i think that this is the single place that De'Aaron fox took the absolute biggest leap in his entire uh this like changes the course of his career i think the fact that yeah. he has now become a pull-up shooter yeah, a competent one. 73rd percentile, he can shoot some pull-up threes, not like as dynamic as far as forward momentum, but he's at least shown progression, right, to the point where you buy it being maybe above average to potentially very good. Like, it's within his, his range of outcomes, which completely changes. But I think it's most interesting for me, because especially in that 2017 class, comparing him to some of the other lead guards, like I favor Dennis Smith because I love the power on his shot, the fact that he could shoot you know, deep threes at the college level where De'Aaron, I know there's a lot of revisionist history now, but some of his misses were atrocious. Like he couldn't even get the ball to the rim on deeper shots. I mean, some of that was strength. Some of it was mechanics, but like some of that was just poor and like the confidence level, all of that. The one thing he did have though was touch. He was really good in the intermediate game, something that Dennis Smith doesn't have any of. He has no touch and like, he can't score unless he's at the rim. So I think that it, for me was the biggest takeaway as far as De'Aaron's shooting. And you can't take a lot of takeaways from De'Aaron just because he's such a, like we talked about in the last podcast, he's a special athlete. But as far as shooting, that was the one thing to buy. Yeah. Like the fact that, you know, you mentioned the fact that he's a 73rd percentile shooter now, uh, you know, 47.1 effective field goal percentage. Like that is something that I never would have guessed from him in year two. No. He, you could see it at summer league where he had started to really improve. And honestly, you can say this about like, near the end of his rookie year as well, he really started to get his left elbow like directly underneath the ball. And you could see that it was leading to a cleaner release in terms of his shot. That I think was kind of the start of where De'Aaron started to figure out his jumper. And you look at where he is now, I feel pretty good. Like whenever he's getting downhill and like you combine the fact that he can get downhill with that speed stop on a dime and pull up that's what makes him so dangerous that's what makes him so versatile as an offensive player now is the fact that he can really get to that pull up and become a dangerous dude uh the defenses don't really know how to handle now like obviously i think that the goal is to stop him from getting to the basket uh teams will always i think default to that as opposed to playing yeah. him you know, tight, they will play him loose. But the fact that he can go to that 
pull-up jumper now is, is such a critical weapon to his game. If he becomes sub-elite at that consistently, I, I don't know how you stop him um, from getting to the rim, and he can pass. Like That's something that he really took a big jump as far as passing to me from your one to two yeah and that's one thing that like i never really liked from his game at lower levels i agree uh he was not really much of an elite playmaker uh in half court settings you know in for sacramento last year i thought he was good not like hyper elite but i thought he was good last year as a playmaker he was better in transition i thought as a playmaker uh in terms of like creating passes for others but just the leap to good as a half-court passer is such a drastic step for him that it, again, really reshapes the way that defenses have to play him. Yeah, and again, <laughs> the ways he's improved in the degree, like I went back and watched some of his Kentucky tape, and I was just like, I was expecting to be like, oh, I was just bad at this at the time. I was, and I was much oh, worse, no. but I, I didn't like, see a lot of this, dude. Like the way he's improved, I don't think I've ever seen that before from a player this young, like the leap from year one to two, it was just, it's mind-boggling, man. It, props to him, betting on the character. This guy was always an elite dude. One of, like, our favorite per- people in the class. Just a great human being who's got really high IQ. Smart. I mean, he's a smart yeah. guy. And I think betting on that work ethic was just, it, props to the Kings. Yeah, no, like, they bet on the dude involved. Like, they just bet on De'Aaron Fox working his ass off to get better at basketball. They were right. Yep. Like, uh, honestly, a lot of evaluation is just kind of betting on the person like you're playing poker a lot of the time and you're going to lose some betting on the person if you're playing the man versus playing the hand that they're dealt you're going to lose some occasionally but sometimes you're just going to make ridiculous reads and the kings made just an exceptional read here yeah and they've been on a roll i mean they, d- they did well with healed as far as his work ethic of course didn't draft him but traded for him and then bagley kind of has similar qualities to fox as a worker so you can see they have you know, they've been drafting this kind of player, the uber athletes who are hard workers. And for me, my last point on Fox is I'm curious to see how he scores and how he functions on the half court against the best teams in like a playoff setting, for example. Like in the regular season, he's one. Of, I don't care about the points per possession. Like he's, again, probably one of the most dynamic transition like ball pushers we have. Probably the most, honestly. Maybe Giannis, of course, number one. But like this guy is incredible in that setting. I want to see him against the best talent. And I think that's where he is. I, I, want, I just want to see how he scales that way because, like, eight, we're talking about Mitchell next, but Mitchell's a little bit cleaner of a fit as far as if you're looking for a guy who projects in a certain role. I think you can argue the same for Tatum, of course, too, but I think that upside is there for Fox, man. I would agree. The reason that I have Donovan Mitchell slightly ahead of him is I buy the body with Donovan more. I buy yes. the physicality, the strength, just... Uh, the ability, I think, like they have very similar free throw numbers last year in terms of attempt rate. I trust Donovan to be able to like get that to like seven or eight a game and like really start to get to the foul line uh, with his athleticism and uh, force pressure upon defenses. I just like, and plus like defensively, he's more versatile. He's longer, he's bigger, he's stronger. Um, The big difference for me in terms of Donovan Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox is just Donovan's bigger. Uh, I understand that like De'Aaron's a better passer and, you know, we can talk about them as like pull-up shooters now. Like I think that, you know, there's a real question as to how good De'Aaron has potential to be as a pull-up shooter. But a lot of basketball just comes down to who's the bigger, stronger dude. And Donovan being like a power athlete who is bigger and longer, like that's the guy I'm going to bet on, uh, especially just with another guy that has just an exceptional work ethic. Yeah, and I think for me, 
making this point is Donovan's more scalable. Like if it doesn't work out on the ball, he can be like your secondary. You know what I mean? Like he, he's such a good catch and shoot guy. That's something about Donovan is like when he's open. I know like that's kind of nebulous with synergy, but he's outstanding knocking down shots when he's open. I trust his yeah. mechanics more than De'Aaron's overall. So I there's more too. safety with him. So like you, you've noted the defensive versatility. I think that's spot on. And that's what gives Donovan and Tatum, for example, better size. They can survive in an environment without taking things off the table because they can both defend multiple positions and they can both shoot. Whereas De'Aaron, you're kind of just all in on him being this one type of player. And the threshold for that is just incredibly high. Yeah. So Donovan Mitchell, um, his first two years in the NBA, I feel like are pretty remarkable. Like his first year, he dueled Paul George and Russell Westbrook and won in the playoffs. Uh, that's not normal for a rookie, <laughs> like at any age. Like, I mean, rookies are obviously a lot younger now. He did it, I, I want to say, at 21 years old. Uh, the fact that he was able to come in and just, uh, I thought, like, he basically was, he was the best player in that series for Utah, and he won them the, ser- won them the series uh, against Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Stephen Adams. Like, there's no rookie, there's, there's no reason for a rookie to be more effective than, like, Stephen Adams in a playoff series. And this dude's out here winning them series. Like, Unbelievable. And then his second year goes out and averages 23.8 points, uh, 4.2 assists, 4.1 rebounds, shoots 36% from three on seven attempts a game. Look, like, my dude gets shot happy. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> he, will, he will chuck at times. But I think a lot of that has to do with, like, Utah just didn't have a better option a lot of the time in terms of, like, creating a last-second shot. And you know what? I am excited to see what that looks like this year because Boyan Bogdanovich is a guy who can create his own shot. Mike Conley, obviously a guy that can really create his own shot. Having multiple creators around him now, I think are, is really going to open up the rest of the floor for Donovan. And we potentially see him take that next leap even into like 26, 27 points a game on a playoff team, just as like a dominating player. I think if you scale back, his overall offensive usage as far as playmaking for others and himself, especially the others part where he's just, he's a good passer. Like I think his passing at times is underrated, but he's not like a high level passer. And what we should talk about too, is like the finishing at the basket has not been great. I mean, sure. 29th, 26 percentile below 50%. I think a lot of that is in traffic. And that was one of the primary, you know, negatives with him as a prospect was his one foot leaping ability. He has made improvements there, but maybe still not the most efficient finisher. But I think a lot of that comes on the ball. I think if you put him off the ball and he gets more advantages and he can really load up off two where he can, you know, he can sky. He's got great explosion off two feet. If you feature him more as a scorer instead of an initiator, I'm very curious to see. I think his efficiency is going to go up a little bit. And I think that that's maybe his optimal role. Oh, yeah. Like he's going to he can legit really shoot the basketball now. Like he has become a scorer because of his shooting ability with a more open floor. I agree with you. Like, I think that we're not going to see a leap in terms of catch and shoot ability in terms of his ability to create shots off the basket. I think a large part of the reason that he has to chuck a lot of the time is because it's crowded in the paint with Utah. And like you said, like a lot of the reason that we saw those like shitty shots that he would take and look, he would take them. Like we're, I don't think anyone should hide from that. I don't think Donovan should hide from that, but like, I do think a lot of it was contextual. I think a lot of it was Donovan had to take these bad shots to bail out or at least attempt to bail out Utah. And that's why we see these 30 attempt games sometimes some of it is his decision making being not hyper great but i think that there's more to it than meets the eye than just like oh this dude's a chucker 
Well, yeah, and like in the playoffs with Utah in the past, like who's getting them a shot outside of Donovan Mitchell? They just like Rubio. That's not his game. Um, Ingles, I, I love Ingles. He can run a secondary pick and roll, but not a dynamic scorer. So you put, you know, Conley next to him, who can get his own shot, can create for others. You already talked about Boyan. Like, it's a better situation this year. I think we're going to find out more about what Donovan can do when you scale his role differently and really prioritize his strengths, which is, you know, scaling up the catch and shoots, getting him in better situations to score the basketball. So, like, here's the other thing about Mitchell as well. Are you going to bet against Donovan Mitchell at this stage? Like, do you feel comfortable betting against him becoming an All NBA player? I don't feel comfortable with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, that's kind of just what I, what it comes down to for me. That dude is a motherfucker worker in the best possible way, and I'm just not I'm not betting against that dude. Not figuring it out. Like, I, I think it's I think that we're talking about a guy who maybe he does only you know score 23 points a game again this year, but. If he does that, it's going to be on increased efficiency because he has help around him and because uh, we see the shots per game reduce as opposed to uh, no circumstance where he's not taking the next step because of something else. Uh, Like, I think it's very possible we see him average 24 a game again, but do so on like 58 true shooting and be uh, hopefully continuing to take that next step as a decision maker. And I think he's probably going to play better defense because he's going to have less yeah. of an offensive burden. He's someone who can really switch and heat up the ball. Um, yep. You know, great strength, great length. So I'm expecting a little bit better from him there as well. So it, it's a good situation for him. I, I think he's in a really good situation now. If you had to take him or Victor Oladipo over the next three years, <laughs> who would you take? Oh. I mean, there's there's some uncertainty with Depot's health. Uh, God, he can just get to the rim. Depot's a, I, he has to be a better finisher than Mitchell. I haven't looked at his numbers, but he's more explosive. He has to be better at the basket. Uh, that's really tough. I think I would, if we get the Oladipo pre-injury back, I think I would probably take Oladipo, even though he's not quite as good of a shooter. That's a great question, though. Yeah, I think I'd take Mitchell. I think that's where I'm at. I, okay. I'm just like, I'm all in on Donovan Mitchell. And plus, like, here's the other thing, too. Maybe, maybe this is like recency bias, but like you hear people at USA Basketball right now, and they're all like, this this is the dude. Like, this is the guy that's here and just, like, dominating. <laughs> there you go. So I'm very in on Donovan Mitchell. Um, I still have Devin Booker ahead of him. How do you feel about that uh, whenever you saw my list? How, how did how did that strike you? <laughs> well, I thought it was a good move having them back-to-back. I mean, that seems to be one of the, the hottest debates on the Internet is between those two fan bases. So putting them back-to-back, I think, adds to that, and it's, it's kind of interesting. But honestly, I don't really have a strong take here. Devin's just so weird to me in so many different ways because the situation has been really poor and yet I do think he deserves at least some criticism for not being enough of a floor raiser but it's very hard to say that with a straight face when you look at the rest of the roster that team has been a trash fire <laughs> like I will you can't say it I will say it. that team has been a trash fire Devin Booker just averaged 26.6 points on a 58 true shooting percentage as a 22-year-old. He did so while posting a 34 assist rate with a 15% turnover rate, forcing being forced into playing point guard, not getting as many shots up. Like, what Devin Booker did statistically last year, I understand it was for a bad team, should not be... I, I can't remember a 22-year-old who just did what Devin Booker did last year. Put it that way. Like, he was absurd last year. He was. And I watched, again, I watched probably 80 games of that season, and I saw it all. Like, I, I think in some ways he's underrated, and in some ways he might be overrated. But, again, what I want to see from him 
it's not necessarily like his play. It's like, can you put a coherent roster around him and let's just find out? You know what I mean? Let's just put this debate right. to rest and say, let's get him in a good situation where there's no more takes and no more excuses either way. It's just, can this guy be enough of a floor raiser with his skill set? Can he be more engaged defensively? But that's another thing you bring up, and it's like, why would he try consistently on defense in that situation? And I think that's a fair response. I'd like to see him be less lapsy off the ball. But, I mean, when you're winning 16 games, you're going to play hard every single possession when you have to carry that kind of offensive burden? No. No, you are absolutely not going to do that. Uh, I'll be Like you said, like I'll be interested to see what he looks like defensively in a more competent situation this year. Um, Monty Williams tends to be a guy who, like, prioritizes accountability from what I understand. So, like, that matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing I will say about Booker's shooting, he's not quite as good of a shooter as you'd think he is. Like, yes, he has this reputation totally as a knockdown that. guy, but like especially on pull-up threes, he's not as good as you'd hope for. Like he's very good in the mid-range because he's so good at creating a shot. He's really really physical. So if you play him with a smaller guard, he'll just bully him and shoot over the top. Very good touch in the intermediate areas, but not this dynamic forward momentum pull-up shooter. And I think if he was that he would take his game to the next level. Maybe he gets there. I mean, he clearly has the touch, but his mechanics have always profiled, I think, better um, off the dribble, at least in the mid-range area. What do we think he looks like this year where he's obviously going to play more off the ball? Or at least theoretically, like Ricky Rubio's there. You would think that Rubio plays 28 minutes a night or so. Like, what do we think Devin Booker being able to run off of screens, hopefully getting more open shots looks like? I mean, he should become more efficient. He, he's a good catch-and-shoot guy. I think he can shoot off motion. I just, yeah, I, I just I struggle with the value, again, unless he's just this crazy good shooter, unless we're talking about, like, low 40s from three. Like, how valuable can you be if you take him off the ball? Because he is a really good slasher on the ball. Like, he's very good at getting to the basket. He really does well drawing fouls. He has this one, like, kind of swim-through move on, on the run down where he just gets foul calls basically every time. He's one of the best I've seen at that. So I don't want to belittle, I don't want to take away too much of his on-ball game and just make him a pure, like, he's never going to be a pure off-ball guy, obviously. He's going to have the ball some. But yeah. I don't want to scale it back too much to where you don't get that scoring self-creation value on the ball. Because he's a very talented on-ball player, clearly. No, he's definitely still going to do that. Like, I, I think Monty Williams would be crazy to play him totally off the ball. Like, I would imagine that what happens is they probably stagger him and Ricky Rubio a little bit this year. If only just to get... Devin Booker time and because well it's not like Phoenix has like a crazy amount of options from a backup point guard perspective still uh unless you are like a heavy believer in Tyler Johnson being uh long for the Phoenix Suns yeah exactly and ultimately some of this comes down to defense and this is why I think Mitchell is a little bit safer to build around because you're getting more defensive value like with Booker you have to put a specific player next to him I don't know what that player exactly looks like. I mean, I can have some idea. I mean, like Shea Alexander, for example, in the draft might have been a really good fit next to him, but that, that's easier to say in retrospect, of course. I'm just saying you have to put somebody around him where you can both optimize him on the ball and also allow, allow him to play off the ball. I'm not with this whole movement that Devin Booker is a quote-unquote shooting guard. I think he's more of a at least a combo or a, you know, a part-time lead guard. You can't get rid of that element of his game. Right. No, I agree with that. 
Um, there's always going to be like an element of James Harden to his game. He's not going to be James Harden in terms of like dominance on the ball and be a pure point guard like James has turned into in a lot of ways. But I do think that like it's going to be similar insofar as like 6'6", bigger body dude, like leading half court offense, initiating pretty regularly. And if he was that, I mean, obviously not Harden, because if he was Harden, we'd have him like number one on this list or number two, probably because Zion's ridiculous. But I, I think what I would go for there is if I really believed in him being like this dynamic league guard and he was going to be used that way as this full-time initiator, if I believed in that realizable upside, I would probably be right in concert with you as far as this rank. I'm just a little bit more skeptical that he even gets the chance to do that anymore. And that's something that's important because I do feel like he's going to be conservatively a slight negative on defense and how much value do like combo guard off guard players have as far as offensive value unless they're just absolutely insane shooters like if he's a you know again a low 40s like mid 40s three-point shooter that would be incredible that's that's valuable because he can get a shot as well but i don't know I, I just think there's a lot we need to see to his game and he's you talked about with these guys in the past as far as the last couple of guys listed who you're most interested in seeing this next season i'm very very curious to see devin booker in this new ecosystem Yeah, I would agree with that. Probably wouldn't be in my top 10, but I'm excited to see it. The other thing that Devin has done really well over the course of his career, you mentioned that like swim through movie has that he can draw fouls on basically all the time. Just in general, Devin Booker has become one of the better players we have in the NBA at drawing fouls. Yes. Yeah. Huge part of his game. Yeah. It's it's become a part of his game to the point where like he can shoot 32% from three like he did last year and be a guy who takes a lot of threes took like six or seven a game last year and still have a plus true shooting percentage of 58.4 percent like the fact that he's getting to the line if he can combine that with being like a 37 percent three-point shooter which he has definite ability to do we are talking about a guy that is going to be like a 61 true shooting percentage guy while averaging 27 a night yes you're going to get the scoring and i think you're going to get the efficiency what you're not going to get is the playmaking for others likely in that same role like if devin booker i think he was i want to say he was high 20s he was 29 percent or something on pull-up threes last season if, it, if that was like 35 or 36 percent in the role that he had last year he would have been like one of like honestly one of the best offensive players in the league outside of like the truly elites when you talk about efficiency and like playmaking for yourself and playmaking for others i think now you probably have to scale more towards being a, an efficient scorer right uh, i mean like devin booker last year uh finished seventh in the nba in scoring it's pretty good for a 22 year old pretty good i will just not Just bad. say that. <laughs> uh, is the next guy that I have going to be controversial? Uh, both directions, I feel like. Uh, Philly fans are going to be angry I have him at three. And <laughs> everyone else is going to be ha- angry that I have him. You have him at three. <laughs> at like nine. Like I don't have him at nine. I am still a heavy believer in Ben Simmons. Like I am. I almost had him too. I'm not going to lie to you. Like I was very close to just having Ben Simmons at two. Because I really just believe in his overall game average 17 points nine rebounds eight assists a game last year while playing like legit nba potential all defense level uh defense still uh, a plus true shooting percentage guy while initiating offense uh the turnovers i think are concerning they're, they're starting to that basically he didn't take a leap in terms of being a turnover guy and that was worrisome to me uh, i think that even as much as the shooting if he starts to limit turnovers, that will be a critical point for Philadelphia. But obviously for Ben, the swing skill for him to become literally one of the five best players in the NBA 
or like a run-of-the-mill all-NBA player is the shooting. Yeah, and that's honestly the most, that's the hardest skill to project confidently as far as having optimism in. It's just not, there's not a lot we have to work on unless he changes hands, which has been a huge narrative. But like with his left hand. What, you mean the one-minute video that just came out of him shooting jumpers <laughs> in a run doesn't uh, doesn't sway you? I went outside the other day and shot like 80 of 100 from the foul line. Like it's like you can shoot when it's not in the game. It's it's not overly difficult. Like guys, I mean, obviously you know that. But I think with Ben, I'm a little bit more skeptical. I, I love Ben as a player. Like I don't know where I'd have him on this list. I'd probably be a little bit lower. If I like in this setting that he's in right now, if you could tell me that he'd be on a team where he could be the role man, we talked about this ad nauseum, but if he can be like that guy where he's the play finisher slash creator in like a Draymond kind of role offensively, then I'd be right there with you. Because I do think his on ball defense and like his defensive versatility as far as perimeter stuff is outstanding. Like, you know, guarding Kawhi Leonard, having the size and the strength to do that, having the nimbleness, very, very rare athlete in that respect. But I'm a little bit hesitant with the offense against the better teams in the half court in the playoffs. I think we've seen the recipe to stop this guy where teams can force him into the dunker spot. That's, it happens every. It's happened the last two years against good teams. Like, how do you really manage that? You can't on certain teams again he'd be able to be utilized as the screener that would be really effective but on Philadelphia you have Embiid who nobody's really going to respect his shot so it's just really tough man I mean like if I was Philadelphia I would use Ben more as a screener realistically and put Joel in the dunker spot like a little bit more often just because like I would want Ben's ability to break down a defense from a short roll from the inside but I, I don't really know why Brett doesn't do that yeah, and then you really what you're dealing with is a two on one situation potentially, and the big who is probably going to force Ben to shoot floaters. And how well is he going to make that shot? He has touch with this right, but who knows? I mean, ideally, like literally, just steal this from Golden State. Golden State does it all <laughs> the time with Draymond. Yeah, or just like even against the Nets, for example, at times where Mike Scott was out there with Simmons, and we saw I think there was like a six minute stretch where Simmons was the de facto center, and he was just killing the Nets in space. Yeah. Like he. That's what he's best at offensively. Hot take, Ben Simmons can be the best center in the NBA. Like, I think, like, offensively, he would just be a total nightmare. Like, he'd be incredible for opposing defenses if you had the requisite spacing. I think defensively, is he going to protect the rim? He's not Draymond there, clearly. He's far from that. He's not a very good, like, rim protector slash high-level team defender. He's a much better on-ball defender. So that's where it gets a little tough with him because he's not the kind of defensive big that you're used to as far as on the interior. But as a perimeter defensive player, he's outstanding. Yeah, no, he's... Hot take, Ben Simmons is really good. Like... I get that there is the concern about the shooting. I do. I get the fact that the playoff performances have not been like exceptional, right? Like they have not been unbelievable. By the way, like Ben Simmons last playoffs, 62.5 true shooting percentage while averaging 14.7 rebounds and six assists a game, like and reducing the turnovers below three per game. (laughs) The standard has been set so ridiculously high, I think, for Ben that anything less than being utter superstar in the playoffs at 22 years old is a disappointment at this stage. I think just with the way guys view the NBA, it's the scoring and like what Ben's bad at is so obvious on the floor right. when you get him in that kind of setting that it just stands out more than a lot of other weaknesses. Like you don't notice the defensive versatility at times. You don't notice the decision making or the passing and the ball handling and transition. Like there's just certain things about his game you have to you have to look deeper than just the ability to score. But also on the other hand, the inability to score in a lot of settings really hurts him. If you can't shoot off the dribble, his 
Yeah, if you're a perimeter, this is why I think he's more of a big than he is a wing or anything like that, or a point guard. I've had many debates with Sixers fans about this. It's like, if you can't initiate an offense full-time, in my opinion, you're not an initiator. Because if they can take you out of that, you're not that. You know what I mean? And I feel like that is what you do with Simmons. I, I just, again, like, there's been one guy that's like a perimeter-oriented big who can't shoot, really, that has been incredible, and that's Giannis. And Giannis is just on a different level than Simmons as far as a finisher. If Simmons could finish like that, <laughs> this would be a different conversation. Right. Like Simmons is obviously a better passer. But like Giannis can get to the rim at will, and he's a historically good finisher. And that's just something that Simmons, I don't think he's going to be that good there. So you have to have, you either have to put him in a better situation to succeed, or he has to develop a jump shot. Right. And like, honestly, look, like part of this is like a body dimensions discussion, right? Like Giannis is 6'11 with a 7'6 wingspan. Ben Simmons yes. is 6'10", 6'11", with like a 7'2", or 7'1", wingspan, or something like that, right? Uh, you know, he doesn't have a crazy amount of length. Now, <laughs> I just refuse to go too far in the other direction. Put it this way, like, the three guys at the top here, they're the three guys that I looked at and said, okay, if, if this guy becomes the best player in the world at basketball, I would not be surprised. They're the only three guys on this list that I feel that way about. How do you feel about that statement? I have two guys, and I have the guys that we're going to get to. I think Simmons is just beyond that for me, just based on the shooting. And again, if he was like a finishing, if he was a motherfucker like Giannis, who's just going to get to the rim, and he's one of the most physical players I've ever seen play basketball. Like, Simmons isn't that. Like, he can show that physicality at times, but sometimes he finishes kind of soft, and you noted the lack of extension. So I I love Simmons as a player. I'm not quite as high on him as you, but I still think he's tremendously valuable. If he ever shoots the ball, like his basketball awareness, his instincts are insane. Like, he's really really cerebral player if he ever shoots and he can shoot a pull-up three for example or a catch and shoot three then this is a different discussion entirely right but that's what i'm saying like if ben simmons can get to the point where he can take two to three pull-up threes a game which is like a while away still like we're, we're a ways off of that still but he's also t- like 22 23 years old uh just turned 23 in july if we can get to that stage with ben there is a world where the outcome is Ben becoming the best player in the world because he's more athletic than Giannis. He's a better passer than Giannis. He is, uh, I think he's like more flexible both in transition and in the half court at like just being able to like contort his body in weird ways. Giannis, like you said, is just like all power and among the most physical players you've ever seen. And I agree with that. And I think there's like benefits to that, but like if Ben like really works at it, like Ben is genuinely in that class to me, at least Ben is in that class where if the shot comes along, even just to a small level, he is a just dominant, unbelievable force. Yeah, I mean, if he shoots, this is a different discussion. I just, again, you can note somebody maybe like Blake Griffin who developed. Right. He, he was more he was more confident throughout his career. Like he was taking mid range shots for the Clippers. He just never really pushed it out to three. And then the pull up three ended up happening, I think, the seventh or eighth season. So it's possible. But I think also you have to look at the mental side for him. And it's like Simmons has never been a confident shooter. He's never shown that consistency. And I think the mental aspect here is large. It's not like this guy takes a lot of shots. He's very hesitant to shoot even. So you have to, you know, encounter that hurdle as well as the mechanical hurdle. So there's a lot of room to go. But yes, I, I do think, I don't think he's, I think Giannis is actually a little bit more flexible as far as like his stride length. Like he's a little more awkward. Like he can eat up space that way. Simmons is more, yeah, he's fair. definitely faster. Like Simmons is fucking fast. <laughs> like one of the yeah. fastest players in the league. For his size, he's the fastest player in the league at, at 6'10". 
So there's ways he can win. I, I'm with you there. If he shoots the ball, even in the catch and shoot, I think if you can play him off the ball and he can at least make a competent catch and shoot, get like three, I think he's in the top three for me. Yeah. Um, number two is Luka Doncic. Uh, Luka Doncic had a good year as a rookie. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, I ended up winning quite a bit of money because Luka Doncic <laughs> had a good rookie year. Uh, averaged, I'm pulling up the numbers now. My computer decided to run slow right as we were talking about this. 21.2 points, 7.8 rebounds, 6 assists, 42.7% from the field, 54.5 true shooting percentage. Uh, yeah, Luka was absurd last year on offense. He, he was everything that... Uh, we expected and much more as a 19 year old. Yeah. And I mean, I had like the highest expectations for this kid. I said on one podcast, I think he would be the best player in the league in five years. And that was before I watched Zion, but I really do believe in this kid. And I feel like the only thing, and there's a lot of areas he can improve on. Like he shot 71% from the line last year. I think that's going to go up. He's incredibly good at drawing fouls. Another thing like Trey young where the nuance in his game, the craft is so advanced. I think the shooting can get better. Generally 32.7% shot a lot of pull-up threes. I think Dallas has to do a better job systematically of getting him better shots with better surrounding talent. But I think you saw just how much he can do with that size at six, eight two thirty. Like that really matters, man. Like I think a lot of people were right as far as like, he's a little bit heavy footed. He's not the best athlete, but his skill level is literally generational for his size, like his ball handling ability. Obviously everybody knows about the passing and like the, the shot making, the, the pull up, the step back, but it's like the ability to get to spots. He can do that just based on the fact that he's six, eight, like the best, my favorite game of his in the year was against, I think it was early against the Clippers and Doc Rivers is like, we're going to put like these pesky, you know, Avery Bradley. I think it was Patrick Beverly actually that was doing it and like have him just harass Luca and see if he can really take him away. And Luca just yeah, literally get up just under him. In the yeah. And Luca wasn't having any of that. <laughs> he was just like, I'm six, eight and I can dribble. Like you're going to get, you're, you're screwed here. And I think that's again, like this guy's six, eight. It, it, you just don't find guys that are this skilled that size. Can we talk about Luca Doncic's nicknames on basketball reference? <laughs> oh god Go matador oh boy cool hand luca the don wonder boy and swaggy l <laughs> what is going on in this world? i think that that is a the most nicknames i've ever seen on a basketball <laughs> reference page and i think that that actually says a lot because all of those nicknames are fucking terrible <laughs> Like, what is happening here? I don't think I've ever, like, heard... I've heard Wonderboy before, but I think with the Magic yeah. broadcast, they're always just saying... They say Luka Magic, like, a hundred times a game. So that's what I refer to him as now, as Luka Magic. <laughs> yeah, Wonderboy was the nickname coming over from Spain. Uh, yeah. We, we gotta come up with a better Luka Doncic nickname. Like... Yes, we do. The Don. Like, are we expecting him to get fat like Marlon Brando? Like, in The <laughs> Godfather? Is is that where people are at with Luka? Like, Jesus, I know he was big, like, coming into America, but let's, like, not go crazy here. Yeah, and he's trimmed down. You see that picture of him um, listing the weights? Like, he looks better. Oh, we got a muscle watch. The first muscle watch on the 23 and under list. The lean watch. More like, not like he looks, like, crazy strong, but just he looks like he's lost weight, which is really crucial. Where is he up in Santa Barbara? Where is he? Is he in Europe? I don't know. He, he had his car. I don't even know what car was behind him. I don't know what kind, but it was like this blue. It was freaking awesome. Like I think it was probably sure. outside of his house or something. He was just lifting yeah. outside. It was incredible. Just lifting outside. <laughs> are, you, are you following Luka Doncic on Instagram? Is that what's happening here? No, I saw it. It came across my Twitter feed. So I saw that there. It might have been. I don't even know if it was like framed or something. It just looked tight. He, he definitely looked better, though. One thing I will say about Luka is that his ability to draw fouls just immediately translated in the NBA. Yes. 
It was ridiculous. Like he's averaging seven foul shots a game. Yeah. And that really helps him. I mean, the same thing kind of with Trey Young is like these craft guys where they're not the uber athletes. They just rely on a lot of these subtle abilities like these shot fakes to get guys in the air. And that's how they become more efficient. And 71 percent is not getting it done from Luca from the line. He's got to get that, you know, north of 80. And I think that's possible, of course, with his touch. I think that's likely. So that's an easy area where he can, you know, get more efficient. And that's ultimately what his game's going to come down to is, you know, how efficient of a shot maker can he be off the dribble? A lot of hard shots last year. And can he get any more pop going to the rim? I'd like to see him attack downhill and not settle for as many floaters this year. So there's some areas he can improve. And that's my least favorite narrative of any prospect is people viewing Luca as some kind of finished product. It just drives me nuts. Like, it's just like the stupidest fucking thing ever. If you think this guy's like close to his ceiling, like, okay, maybe he's closer to his ceiling than some people hypothetically. But the fact that people think that like he's already almost at his apex value is just crazy to me. Marvin Bagley is not at his apex value defensively, Cole. <laughs> I, I just want you to know that. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I, I like. I guess that like the question here is where do we think he gets better? I, I would say as a shooter, he's going to become probably like a thirty-six percent three-point shooter, taking a shit ton of pull-ups uh, and like stepbacks and everything. I think he's going to become a lot more comfortable as a passer and probably even reduce the turnover rate a little bit more as he gets older and just kind of sees the speed of the game uh, a little bit better. Like that. There's just going to be a lot of improvement here. There's going to be an insane amount of improvement. I totally agree. I think a lot of the decision-making, he rushed some lobs last year routinely. I think the thing about Luca's rookie year is he made a lot of really awesome plays in the clutch, which covered up for not necessarily deficiencies, but areas he wasn't as strong at consistently. Like, there's a lot of things he can do better as far as just timing on things. It's just, it's one of those things where you see a guy who's not a great athlete and how does he improve? It's like, his skill level is incredible. He's going to get more skilled. It's kind of like a Jokic argument where, like, Jokic doesn't look discernibly different from when he entered the league. He's gotten a little bit better shape, but he's not like in incredible shape or anything. You just get more accustomed to the NBA game. You make better choices. You make better decisions. And I think that's what we're going to see with Luca. And you just told me that Luca is jacked in 10 now. <laughs> that's what the Babs apparently want us to believe. No, I think that actually came straight from Luca's Twitter or something like that. So one can only hope. I think that's it, what's funny is before the draft, I was like, if this guy gets a better shape, like he's going to surprise, he's, he's going to vault a lot just because so much of his game, he wasn't in optimal shape. If you can get any kind of added athleticism to first step to burst or anything, all of that stuff is going to make a lot of difference for him. All right. So Zion is number one. Do we think I am overrating Zion by having him at number one? I mean, I think everybody who covers the draft, not necessarily the NBA guys, but the guys who cover the draft, I would say 90% would have Zion as number one on this list. Because I'm going to get bitched at incessantly for this. Like, I'm fully you aware are. of it. Especially after Summer League where people are like, oh, he didn't look that good. And he wasn't in optimal shape. And it was Summer League for like five minutes. Can we, let's just chill a little bit. So I think we talked about this on the Summer League like review podcast. But with Zion, I think it's worth remembering that everyone he's playing against basically either had a season that went until May because uh, they were playing professionally overseas. Uh, B is in the NBA and is getting like NBA nutritional programs uh, in terms of improvement, right? Like rookies from 2017, 2018, or went through like a full pre-draft process to go through workouts at their utmost physical peak. Zion didn't have to do shit for like three months. <laughs> like that dude did not have to, my man could have sat in Louisiana or South Carolina, because he's from South Carolina, let's say, eaten all of the barbecue in the state of South Carolina, bloomed up to 330 pounds, and I still think he would have gone number one. 
<laughs> yeah, there was no way by the end of last year. I mean, you had, I, I thought there was actually a bigger contingent than I expected of guys who had John Morant ranked number one, but none of those were NBA teams. Like, even if you put the playing aside, like, just the, look, look at the response Zion got just from a market standpoint at Summer League. The amount of buzz. Like, no owner is ever passing up Zion Williamson. Well, there's that, of course, but like, even from a playing perspective, I don't think NBA fans have recognized yet when he's in shape, like, and he will get in shape uh, playing basketball. I have very few doubts about that. Yeah. When he is in shape, his athleticism is unstoppable, even from NBA athletes. A- everyone says like, oh, you're not going to be the most athletic player on the court. He is the danger. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, that guy is the guy who is going to just out-athlete every single player on the court, period. End of discussion. Uh, he is the most quick-twitch, like, explosive athlete I've ever seen play basketball. And he does so at six foot seven, 285 pounds, which means he can actually translate that explosiveness into power and physicality. And, like, you can't knock him off uh, line by fouling the shit out of him. You will be in pain if you do that. Just from a physical perspective, this guy is unlike anything the NBA has ever seen. I will let you talk about the skill perspective because his skill set in terms of his basketball abilities is drastically, I think, I don't think NBA fans understand that part of it yet either. He is very, very skilled as a player. He's very skilled for what he is physically. I think that is the key. And like he is... He's not fucking Trey Young. No. <laughs> I mean, the shooting is going to be a while. We, we can just get that out of the way. Like the shooting, I think he's going to be, he has good enough touch where he's eventually going to shoot, especially off the catch. We'll see about off the dribble from three. I think he can actually shoot okay from the mid range. He's always been kind of more comfortable doing that on pull ups. But where you see his skill functionally translate most is as a ball handler. In transition, he's just going to be. Like, people aren't going to believe their eyes. If you haven't seen him dribble in transition, it's going to be, like, a fucking experience for you. Uh, his shiftiness with the ball, like, he's, again, in some tight area confines, he does the have... The man is I a think fucking has, freight train. <laughs> yeah, just cut right to the uh, the takeaway. I do think in tighter confines, he does lose the ball at times. Maybe smaller hands, like, control. But as far as general skill, like, he can handle the ball at his size. He can run dribble handoffs. He's not a fake dribble handoff. Be able to get to the rim in one dribble, like, transition, he's just going to kill. Like, his... His hop step move is one of the most unique moves. And we talked about this like multiple times on the podcast, but he's that's one of the most unique moves I've ever seen from a player. And yeah. that's something that you can't really explain to somebody until they see it because it's like nobody else in the league can do that. Like Giannis yeah, like, wins a different way. Go ahead. Th- this is not a situation where there's a comp. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen someone jump step half as far as Zion jumps, like hop steps. It's the power and like the lateral burst that he has where he can just legitimately hop around somebody at full speed right. and he can do it explosively where he can do that and then just immediately jump. Like, right. We've like never he seen can anybody. Be, he can be win. downhill, stop with two feet plant, jump step like five feet to the right laterally <laughs> and then go up and dunk. It is ridiculous. It is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like the movie Unstoppable, like he's not Denzel Washington. He's the train. Like he is... <laughs> The train that is coming to like just end people's lives because it's yeah, it's like this like it's ridiculous. It's like this face up attacker finisher, which is what I think he's going to be best at. Not like the same. He's not going to win the same way as Giannis, where he's like seven foot with like a, that extension and like dunks on people like in that way. But you have to see it in, as far as in space. Like who's going to be able to really stay in front of him? Like if you can't stay in front of him, the odds are you won't have the strength to deter him. You know what I mean? Like if you really like if you get like Brooke Lopez next to him and he's just attacking one on one in space and you get him spacing. Like how do you guard that guy? 
So, like, the best guys that have a chance to guard him, I feel like, are Harrison Barnesy types. Like, 6'8", 240, 7-foot wingspan. Like, strong, but also retain some lateral quickness, right? Like, Thaddeus Young might be the best example of a guy that, like, might have some success against him. Zion Williamson has 50 pounds on Thaddeus Young. The difference between Zion Williamson and Thaddeus Young is, like, the difference between Thaddeus Young and De'Aaron Fox, in terms of like weight and just being able to displace someone. And he's like the best explosive athlete I've ever seen. It's like really the force. It's the it's the weight, but it's how he converts that into power, into force that is going to really... I, it's I like think Zion it's is filled mind. with midichlorians, like the bullshit <laughs> stuff from like the Phantom Menace. Like he is literally the force from Star Wars. I'm trying to think like... Maybe the best defender, like, I think he's going to run through Harrison Barnes. Like, I don't think Harrison Barnes is strong enough. Like, I, I think Zion's too powerful. Like, I, I, maybe, like, Bam. I legit think it's, like, Thaddeus Young. It might be Thaddeus Young, Bam, or somebody like that who has this mega frame who's agile. Like, Actually, again, if you put, like, a, the that, answer is Giannis, because Giannis can kind of swallow him up with length and won't, like, shy away from the physical shit. Yeah, that's probably right. The, the length will help him. I still think Zion is probably i don't know like Giannis is quick but i think sometimes he's kind of like slow twitch and zion will just eat that up like he's just so twitchy as far as his horizontal burst i'm really curious to see those situations though but uh i mean i think the thing also you have to note about his game is the diversity of how you can utilize him he's like a super killer as far as like the screen setter if you put him in the draymond role like shit's gonna go down like he's not gonna throw lobs at the rim he's gonna dunk on people if he gets four on threes you know what i mean like that's the kind of ways like you say how he's gonna score in the half court that's a lot of the narrative after summer league is transition everybody i think everybody expects him to be awesome in transition how he scores in the half court is you use him as a screener use him as the dribble handoff guy you try to leverage that screening ability to get him advantage situations as a scorer where he can get downhill and then there's really nobody i mean you could have rim protectors there he's gonna run right through guys so that's how you use him yeah, and uh, Alvin Gentry is going to know how to do that. Like, exactly. To a T. Literally yes. has done it before with the best guy possible to do it. Um, the other thing that you can do is, like, you can just get him... You can, like, run off-ball screens to try and get him in a mismatch against teams that switch off-ball screens, which a lot of teams do, and run that way. If you're playing a zone against him, like a makeshift zone like Miami plays, he's just going to jump-stop you and, like, murder you. Uh, he's going to tear you from the inside out uh, as a passer at the foul line because every point guard in the NBA can make those like foul line extended passes, right? Like the thing that Zion is most underrated with is probably the passing ability. He is a ridiculous passer for his side. He, It's hard to overstate how good he is. He is, and like we haven't even talked about the defense yet. He was <laughs> one of the three or four best defenders in college basketball this season just because of the havoc that he wreaks athletically in terms of being a weak side rim protector, in terms of his switchability laterally, uh, in terms of just the aggressiveness that he can really press up on someone and just bother the shit out of them. Like, it's hard to overstate how good he is. There's like five different things we haven't mentioned that would capture yeah. how good he is. I, th I think one of them is like the ability to play small ball five at one point. It's just that's going to be it for teams. Like, what do you do? What do you do against him? There's nobody. His strength level and his ability to hold up against bigger players and, and guard down is just going to be an absolute disaster for other teams to match up with. Because if you can really play him at the offensive five next to shooting and you can get him in gaps, if he ever gets into space, like you can't, it's not somebody you just can't guard. You're like, oh, oh you're behind the three point line. We're not going to help because he's going to run to the rim and he's a lob threat and he's a put. Oh, yeah. Like he's, so like he's not someone that you can play off of. 
you basically have to play on him because if you let him get any sort of head of steam, it's over. Yeah, head of steam, he's it's done. And also, if he can get duck-ins like really close to the rim on smaller players, he's going to eat that up too. But I think playing the, the five in the playoffs, that's where you're going to see this ceiling. Like If he's going to be the best player in the league, I think that's going to be where he gets it. Unless, of course, he becomes like a very, very good shooter, of course. But I, I think that's more of like in the future, way into the future. I The small ball five thing, I just think that's more of a revolutionary position by player like there's nobody that can really do what he can the field level like you noted as a passer it's just going to be a complete son of a bitch for teams yeah no um i have nothing else in zion like good luck i I have one more thing (laughs) continue i have one more thing and the most important the the thing about me I, i think i noticed on the draft podcast we did about him is like the guy's a motherfucker like he's a competitive guy. Motor. He's it's also unbelievable. A, a, yes, he, like he gives a shit on the floor. Like in ways that I'm not sure if we've seen from a high level prospect before. Like I saw a little bit. I saw that from Jaron Jackson, but Jaron Jackson's not the athlete that Zion is. Like you apply all of that competitive fire, that I don't know, just the drive that he has on the floor for who he is as a pedigree guy. Like I don't know if I've seen that, and that's something that you're going to get his best. And I think that the guy that was like most comparable is probably Blake Griffin coming out of Oklahoma. Like I remember Blake played ridiculously super hard all the time in Oklahoma. That's fair. I mean, from an athletic functional standpoint, Blake's probably one of the only guys that can really enter this conversation. And Zion was, of course, better defensively. But yeah, I, I think. It, that from and by the way, kind of- like Blake was an unbelievable athlete. I don't know if Blake can enter this conversation. Blake was like a 98th percentile athlete. <laughs> like Zion is the 99.9% outlier that, you know, is like two standard deviations above Blake at like the 97th percentile athlete. The only way you're getting a better athlete historically in the NBA is if you start incorporating skill and like allowing that skill to fully apply the athleticism. Somebody like Michael Jordan, who just had immeasurably good body control, explosive, and you had more dribbling and shooting. If you start building in the skill, that's how you get the better functional athlete in certain ways. But just in so many different ways, this guy is literally a historic athlete. That is literally all I have on Zion. Uh, (laughs) Tremendous fit in New Orleans as well because of the spacing now, because of uh, Alvin Gentry being willing to run up and down the floor. Uh, Yeah, he's just a stud. He's an unbelievable stud. Yes, and he, I just to give some context with my ranking, I have him and Luca in their own tier. I don't know who I'd take. I think I would side with Zion's upside, but I think Luca's safer in several ways with his ability to shoot the ball. But you could yeah. make an argument for either one of those guys I'm in. And then I have Jaron three, Trey Young four. Those are my four guys. I, I just really believe in the skill or the approach to all of these guys. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. Um, you guys know the order I've got it. I've got it Zion one, Luca two, uh, Ben Simmons three, Devin Booker four, Donovan Mitchell five. De'Aaron Fox, six, Trey Young, seven, DeAndre, eight, and eight. Uh, you guys have listened to the past podcasts, I imagine. But if you <laughs> haven't, uh, please go listen to those. I don't think we're going to do a, uh, a review on this one, if only because we need more people to leave reviews. Uh, we need more people to uh, give us just exceptionally fun takes on this podcast. Uh, hopefully they are off the rails. This podcast uh, went off the rails just a touch, a little bit near the end. <laughs> I thought, uh, Cole, how, what do we think of this project in general? Did, did we enjoy it? Did we think it was uh, a worthwhile endeavor? Cause we've been on the phone now for about six hours today. I really did. Honestly, it was nice to talk about all these guys 
in connection to one another in such a small amount of time. And like, I always like talking through prospects with you because we don't always agree on everything, but you have your own opinions and I have mine and we kind of just talk through different things. And I think that's valuable. Last year, I think we had this in two podcasts. So this year we went a little bit deeper and had three, but I hope the listeners like it because I think like this kind of in-depth analysis and be able to contextualize information, build in scouting as far as past um, evaluations well, and whatnot. I hope that's some value. We we didn't do it last year. I think Dieter and I did it last year because you were at the point where you're working for the Sun. Hmm. Might be right. Maybe we did it two years ago. I know we've done I, it once before. I think we did it two years ago. Yeah, because this is the third okay. year I've done this project. Interesting. I am a glutton for punishment, having done this three years. <laughs> yeah, you are. Like, what am I thinking? What am I doing with my life? Having done this three <laughs> times. Like, I, am I trying to get people to like yell at me? What am I? I don't thinking? know, man. I, your strategies sound every time you do it and then you disappear. Like I'm going to copy you. I'm going to, when you post this, something's going to disappear. <laughs> yeah. Last time when I did it, I disappeared to Australia and got engaged. This time I'm doing it. I'm getting married. I'm disappearing to Hawaii for my honeymoon. There you go. Yeah. Next, next year I have to figure out the move. Like maybe I'll, I have to figure out exactly how I'm going to handle it. <laughs> there you go, man. Cole, please tell the people uh, where they can find your work. At thestepian.com, I am in the process of writing different prospect articles, so keep on the lookout for that as we get closer to the college season. Probably write some NBA profiles as well. And as usual, continue to listen to this podcast. Go to the Stepian, go to the Athletic, keep me employed over there. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review the podcast. Uh, your ratings really do help us uh, grow the podcast. They really help us move up in the ratings. Uh, it, it really is just a huge help if you subscribe, if you. Uh, I don't even know if you have to listen to the podcast if you subscribe. Like, if you just subscribe, just, you know, maybe download the episode, then delete it. That probably helps. Uh, I'm sure that you don't want to hear my voice for six more hours a week. So, uh, <laughs> please, just at least subscribe. I don't care if you listen. Just subscribe. Uh, but until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.